Hello, welcome back to Brace. This is Paul, and I'm here with Tommy. Today we're going to be talking about some current events, and if you can take a guess based on anything you might have seen in the news on what we're talking about. Tommy, you want to introduce the topic for the day? So today we're going to be talking about World War Three. You know, back not since uh, the 1940s has a really major power uh, gone in and attacked another. Uh, looking to build an empire. Well, actually, we don't we don't really know the the full motives. We only are hearing you know certain things. But I think it's worth uh, worth discussing, especially because it's uh, kind of the biggest thing going on right now. I agree completely. Uh, I was scrolling through Amazon Prime the other day, and I saw an old movie about Tsarist Russia, specifically about Ivan the Terrible. Uh, and with everything going on, I was like, let's throw this on, kind of see what it's about. I thought it was kind of interesting because it turns out that he happened to be one of the big influences on Stalin for uh, building a Russian empire, kind of how to rule stuff like that. Stalin actually did some propaganda films about him making him the good czar and, and, and kind of rewriting history a little bit around Ivan the Terrible. Uh, and I found that to be quite interesting because Putin has uh, called... Peter the Great, and then Stalin, his two big influences in uh, Russian history on who he kind of <laughs> models himself after. So, uh, yeah, World War III is here, man. What do you think? Well, just to to go on that point, it's interesting, right? Putin can, you know, name the people he was influenced by, but who were they influenced by, and who were they influenced by, and it's probably outside of the scope of this discussion, but kind of where do these ideas come from? Where does this, you know, strive for power uh, to control others, uh, to kind of put your agenda at the forefront? Yeah, it's, I think there are different, it's quite interesting how different parts of the world have, you know, they're, they're different historical figures that really influence the culture all the way to this day you go to mongolia and genghis khan is still thought of as you know quite a great man and i'm not you know he built quite an impressive empire that's that's just the way it is though people have their influences and and if there's a, a countryman that does something great even if it's kind of terrible it's kind of interesting that world war ii is a little bit the exception to that i mean Germans have had 80 years to feel terrible about what their country did in World War II as as kind of, you know, they should, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, you look at, you know, the the great leap forward. China still loves Mao. That that killed 60 million people. You know, Hitler might have killed 20 million people, but China still finds a lot of pride in Mao. So it it is quite interesting how I think it's only the the western part of the world that has fully accepted kind of the moral outlook and said that if, you know, a, a quote unquote great person does uh, a huge evil in trying to attain greatness, that's a bad thing. And in, in a lot of the rest of the parts of the world, that's not widely accepted. Interesting. Um, I know we're, gosh, I just want to go outside the scope, you know, just go, go super tangential, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, what you're gonna do it it almost seems 
don't know, it's kind of good and bad, right? Like we have to, as people, understand that people can do both good and evil. And what defines a man? His worst moment or his greatest moment? And when we're talking about some of these terrible dictators, right? That's that's in our eyes. Are we hearing the full side of the story? Are, are we being propagandized? Uh, do we only hear what we want to hear? I think these are all interesting questions to think about and kind of contemplate back and forth as we as we try and judge others upon their worst moments. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? You know, I understand what you're saying. Judge people on their best or worst. You know, do we actually see the full scope of the picture? At the same time, I I struggle to think that we're not seeing the f- at least most of the picture when it comes to these uh, historical figures, these world leaders at their times, just due to the fact that they are contained in an ideology or an economic system. So when we're talking about totalitarian governments, when we're talking about communist governments or socialist governments, we know that they upheld those systems. And it's something that seems to be in a lot of the conversations, uh, primarily on on the left today in the United States is kind of about systemic, you know, whether it's systemic racism or systemic power, these things. It's like, yeah, Stalin was a communist leader. That's that's what he did. He was, you know, the Soviet Union was a communist state, or I guess technically a socialist state. It was the socialist Soviet Republic, but you know the the government owned the means of production, and we saw what that did with with central planning, and that's why, in big part, Russia hasn't been able to fully come into the West. Not that they would have liked to, but they still have some cities which have half a million or a million people there which are built around one huge manufacturing or, you know, pick the industry plant that 150, 200,000 people work at. Because, you know, back in the Soviet Union, which is what this country was 35 years ago, they had the government just telling them what they had to produce and how much it had to cost. So I, I hear I hear what you're saying, you know, do we know both sides of, of these coins? And the answer is, of course, no. We, we don't know what is contained in the human heart ever. But we can see the fruits of their actions, and I don't think there's any doubt that when you look around the world, the Kims in North Korea are evil. Uh, the, you know, Xi in China is doing terrible things to not only the, the Uyghurs, but the rest of the population with social credit scores and you know all of that what are your thoughts on what i just went off on well so the only thing i was gonna kind of push back on right so when we're looking back at our leaders in the united states past presidents and we put them down to well they were a slaveholder right and i feel like this discussion has been going on it's not a good thing, right? And there's different writings about it, and some of the things they even tossed and turned with as they were writing the Constitution. And I just think that, you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood, right? So 
when I say do we know the whole picture, we know kind of the consequences of their actions. Uh, some of these, I guess in Hitler's case, like his his main plan. But are there interesting ideas in communism that have been tried out and, and failed, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying we should try it again. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but, so essentially, kind of... Are there good ideas in communism? That's what you're asking. No, I, no, no, I'm no. I'm not here for it. <laughs> That's... I just mean... What, what I think you're saying is that we don't judge our leaders as strictly, right? Or I guess you don't as strictly because they upheld a better system. Whereas well, the... I, I, I'm not... I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but I'm not really saying that. Uh, I think that there are both great and terrible presidents and leaders in American history. We haven't completely transformed our system away from either capitalism to socialism or communism or away from... And this is actually probably the most contentious away from democracy or from uh, republicanism, which is really what we have, uh, to any sort of autocracy or totalitarian state. There's something to be said about the deep state, uh, about the fact that there are however many, I think it's 1.8 or 2.8 million federal government employees, many of which the vast, vast majority of which are unelected and are uh, not responsible to the American taxpayer or the American voter in any meaningful way. So there are systemic issues with America. I'm not trying to deny that or avoid that. That being said, I think how we judge American presidents and American leaders is largely on the immediate impact that they can have both domestically and in foreign relationships and in how they impact the good of the American people. So the reason that, for instance, Abraham Lincoln is far and away regarded, regarded as usually it's hard to find a list where he's outside the top two of American presidents is, I mean, for the vast majority of his time as president, we were in the midst of a civil war. So how does that happen? First of all, his predecessor, I think it's Buchanan, was one of the worst presidents of all time because he brought us right to the brink of the civil war. And then when Lincoln got elected, that essentially uh, fomented it and the South, you know, uprises and all that. But it's because he not only managed to keep the union together, but did it while also getting the rights of millions of people living here to them because they had been taken away for the existence of our country. Uh, and, and I, it was interesting, you know, you mentioned, do we judge them based on being slaveholders? I think that's a fairly new phenomena in American culture to look back and say, oh, woe is George Washington because he owned slaves. He was a, a, you know, must have been a very terrible person. Uh, the reality is if you take a snapshot of the world at that time, uh, you go to any continent that has people and you will find slaves. Uh, it wasn't all chattel slavery. It wasn't all, you know, based on uh, race like it was in North America. But the reality of enslavement of other human beings 
was true throughout all of history and up until that point. And, you know, uh, someone probably can fact check me on exactly when Britain outlawed it. They, I think, outlawed it maybe a little bit before the United States did. But we fought an incredibly bloody war to get those rights that were enshrined in the Constitution to all Americans. And I think our leaders today are, are largely judged on how well they protect those rights and protect our liberties, those two things. So I think when you look at other presidents, you know, I, I don't really want to get into the recent history of the United States, though, because that's not yeah, yeah. That's really what we're talking about. So real quick, the the last thing I'll say about this, and we can actually discuss World War III, um, <laughs> is that was kind of the correlation I was I was trying to make. Right, that I think some snap judgments are made when we look back and look at the worst things. And I think it's somewhat related to cancel culture. It's it's taking a snapshot and saying, This is horrible, right? And we do know more of the story for some of these uh totalitarian dictators who we're in we're in different systems, right? Controlling kind of by their whim. I just think there's a connection between us trying to, you know, cancel individuals or retroactively look back at, oh, well, you know, they weren't as good. I just think that what we think we know, we don't know the whole story. And I think that should just be something to keep in the back of your mind prior to making snap judgments. And I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying that sure. in general, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of what I'm trying to correlate. Well, I, I think there's a, a fairly good segue with that into the conflict that we've seen between Russia and Ukraine so far, which was uh, the West was so eager to say for Ukraine, Russia bad that, and I was 100% a part of this too, kind of avoided uh, looking a little bit closer at the information that was initially coming out about that conflict. Uh, and and so Ukrainian propaganda was uh, very rampant very early when it came to the the Snake Island story. You know, 13 soldiers uh, supposedly told the Russian battleship to go F itself and then we're all killed. And that was official straight out of the Ukrainian government and from the prime minister saying all of them are going to be awarded with the highest honor that they can be. They're all, you know, essentially martyrs for the cause, whether we're talking about the, the ghost of Ukraine, the, the fighter pilot that was, you know, an, an ace and all that. And there are a couple of other stories that, you know, when people went to corroborate, they were unable to, because it turns out they were false. So, you know, when you're talking about getting the whole picture, I think it's, it's pretty relevant to say, especially in an active war zone, it's really hard to know the truth of the facts on the ground. Yeah, and uh, I think that brings up a, an interesting question. And I know we talked a little bit before, and you may not have the answer, but how do we know what is true and what is false? What is propaganda and and what's not? How how do we look through all this information, right? I mean, it's it's kind of twenty four seven, and I think uh, a part of it is now there's a new a new way to fear the public now that you know COVID has started to cease. Uh, it's interesting seeing all the people 
at the grocery stores not wearing masks when, you know, two days prior they were. And it's like, oh, well, that, that really changed quick. You know, what do we, what is the truth? How do we discern it from what's going on right now? Well, there's definitely two things that you mentioned there that I want to touch on the, you know, on the propaganda piece. It's, like I said, it's incredibly different, difficult in the active uh, war zone. I would say that when you, first of all, if, if you can, if, if you have the emotional capacity or if you're busy enough, just take the step back. Whenever you, you know, see news, hear about something, wait 24, 48, 72 hours before you think about sharing it or passing it on to see if it's corroborated by anyone, if it's reported by anyone that has a little bit more credibility, a little bit of a slippery slope there with the fact that the media has been doing its darndest to destroy all of its credibility over the past two plus years. So yep. uh, that's difficult, but there are, there are boarding boots on the ground right now. I, you know, I follow a couple of accounts, first of all, of Ukrainian citizens uh, who are sharing things actively in their area and also some reporters that have gone into that area. So if you're looking for it, you'll find those sources. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything they're saying is, you know, objective by any means, of course. It's they they're just relaying their experience. In a situation that's this messy and will cost this many lives, I don't know that there is a distinction between news and propaganda because no matter what, you can only be giving your point of view of the matter. And until history has its chance to sit down and write everything in stone, we're going to have no idea. I mean, right now, you know, the Ukrainian government and the Russian government are giving the numbers are wildly different on how many casualties the Russian military has uh, sustained. I mean, there's I think the Russian military is saying less than a thousand, but over 500. And the Ukrainian is saying over 5000. So that's wildly different scope. And if you do you want to talk about that at all? Because the other thing that you mentioned COVID and I would love to have a quick <laughs> quick conversation about that. Well, yeah, so you can you can kind of understand the bias that both of those reports would wanna wanna give out, right? Like we've killed five thousand Russians. We're, you know, totally in charge, we're winning. And, you know, it provides motivation to the civilians that are still fighting in Ukraine. And it also kind of tells the world yeah we're crushing them and then you know to the russians trying to tell their people no we haven't we haven't lost that many it's you know under a thousand people you can you can clearly see why there would want to be bias in those two reports and you know is it one's the truth one's not or are both trying to push it a little bit uh just to kind of make their story sound better right yeah and the answer is probably both. You know, it's like they're they're trying to make their side sound like the winning side, and they're trying to encourage and add morale to you know the their military efforts. But at the same time, they want to have the world be on their side a little bit. So if if Russia says no, this is a small military operation. We're just trying to help these two you know, independent nations that are our friends that, you know, Ukraine has been suppressing because they're Nazis. They don't want to act like they've actually lost multiple thousands of people in that in that fight. And even though the world, I think, obviously sees through that 
I think that is quite clearly propaganda. I mean, if you're trying to topple the government in Kiev, then it has nothing to do with those two nations, which I don't think I can pronounce. Um, <laughs> the other, so on the COVID front, though, one of the questions that you had thought about asking was, why now? What is this maybe uh, turning our attention away from? And COVID, I think, is is the the obvious answer. It's been interesting how we've been told that we must follow the science about anything that they tell us we need to follow the science about for two years. And now when, you know, we're, we're both engineering majors, we understand how the scientific process works. Now, without new data that would change the outcome of said science, uh, and in fact, with case rates that are almost identical and death rates that are almost identical to this time last year, mask mandates are going away. Vaccine mandates in many parts of the world are going away, if not yet in the United States. And the FDA denied Pfizer's application to not have to release information about its vaccine application. Uh, so they had requested basically, hey, we don't want to have to release this to the public for 75 years until 2095, I think was the... what. It, they had requested that, and uh, <laughs> what what would be their reason for requesting that? Uh, I don't know what the official reason was, but U.S. District Judge Mark Pittman uh, decided on January sixth of this year to deny the request to suppress the data for the next seventy five years. And according, I guess their claim was that was necessary because it had limited resources. So, but it was interesting because that. And that came out, the FDA showed that upon application for approval, Pfizer was aware of 158,000 adverse events, including 1,291 adverse side effects. So I can send you this article. It's, it's quite interesting. But hmm. that's one of the things that dropped uh, in the past week, while everyone, including every media outlet known to man uh was focused very intensely on this conflict it's a very interesting timing uh and i think something worth thinking about i read in uh did you ever finish reading 1632 yes excellent we we'll have to discuss that at some point i, I don't know if we ever did but anyways not ma- not via podcast <laughs> <laughs> the uh the main character he says something that you know, is is a little bit shocking, but I think truly realistic. Never let a tragedy go to waste. And I think that that's seemingly what what governments will try and do. If there's an opportunity to, you know, a power grab or control or money, you know, use the tragedies purposefully in order to kind of push the agenda. Um, and I'm not saying that's specifically being done, but kind of in that in that passage in the book, there's a tragedy going on, and he wants to try and recruit people to his cause. Uh, and in the way he uses it, it's positive. But you could also see where the opposite's true. 
there are two relevant leaders in history uh, to whom that quote is actually attributed. <clears throat> uh, the first being Winston Churchill, actually, gotcha. around the time of World War II. And then more recently, the one that I was thinking of, I, I didn't think it was Obama, but I thought it was someone close to him. And it was his chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, said that you never want to uh, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. Yeah, man. Very, very uh, true. And I think especially with the media environment of 2022, uh, they're, they're probably taking full advantage of it. I, I find uh, all of the talk about Russia and Ukraine to be quite interesting. How the talk about energy, oil, uh, renewables, all that has been going on as well, because that seems to be quite a flashpoint uh, and, you know, a significant divergent between the left and right in the United States on on the path forward. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you been seeing that at all? Yeah, so I'm going to talk out of my ass for a little bit. Um, but what I understand is a few different things. And... You know, we've put sanctions on Russia in order to support Ukraine. But what do these sanctions really mean when we're still, and again, someone please fact check me, buying half a million barrels from Russia? I don't know if that was daily, but I think it, I think it may have yes. been. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also, I was informed today, and again, maybe this is something that needs to be fact checked, but that that you know, half a million barrels is only 3% of our energy consumption as United States. So That's true. That is also true. Okay. So it's interesting to think that, you know, gas is going up when that's such a small portion of our energy consumption. And what I mean by that is, you know, prices are going up, but is that just trying to push more people towards EVs and, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be using gas anyways. And I got to think that, you know, these companies are, they're still going to make the same margins no matter what the cost is. The increase in cost is just being pushed down to the consumers. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw some friends of ours uh, posting about, well, why don't these companies just keep the same price and you know we're we're asking the americans to pick up the tab why don't the companies keep up the tag well i mean right uh companies will keep the same margins because those are operating margins and if they choose to sell oil at 44 dollars a barrel like it was you know a year or a year and a half ago at this time yeah they're going to be out of business tomorrow so that's that's not a good way of doing things yeah, no, but it is an interesting point. Um, one thing I learned today or yesterday was that of all the United States imports of Russian oil, 25% of what we import is for the state of Hawaii. Oh, uh, interesting. Right. And uh, part of what makes that interesting is they have, I think, one seriously major coal plant in Hawaii and it was due to be shuttered. It is, excuse me, due to be shuttered in September of 2022. So if we all of a sudden just say no more Russian oil, that leaves 
one of our states in a very precarious situation when it comes to energy. I would, if I were, has I, I haven't looked this up at all, but if California's already seeing some $6 a gallon stuff, definitely over five, you know, closer to six, Hawaii's got to be in the, you know, eight to $10 range per gallon. So wow. I can't, I can't really even imagine what that would look like leave, living on those islands. But I guess, you know, that's what you get for living on an island. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Now you're now uh, you're victim blaming. God. I'm victim blaming. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, but it, it is it is just uh, really interesting to me because um, I actually work in in this sector of business, and it seems like there is there is a stark divide between the people that say, uh, "What the heck? We had a pipeline mostly built that was going to be bringing in you know eight hundred thousand barrels of oil a day from Canada. You know, it was going to be." It was going to be about 40% more green compared to the oil that Russia is drilling for in terms of carbon emissions. Uh, and, you know, we wouldn't have to transport it halfway around the world in order to get it to us. Oh, yes, it would also be cheaper. Yes, it would also mean that we're not reliant on this um, totalitarian government that's invading a neighbor. And, I mean, the total money we're spending on Russian oil is something like 700 million. It's probably a heck of a lot more because costs have gone up. It's probably closer to a billion, but it's, I think it's $700 million a day. So when you talk about that and then talk about the scope of this invasion, we probably aren't financing all of it, but we're fine. We're subsidizing a significant part of this uh, military action. Interesting. Very interesting. I think so too. What so, else do we want to talk about though? What else do we want to talk about? So I guess my question and and I I don't mean this in a in a rude way, but why does this matter? And why should we care? Uh I know that'll sound harsh, but you know, on the other side of the world there's a conflict going on between two countries. What does this mean kind of going forward, and, and what does it mean kind of of the past? I know that's maybe a little vague, but... What does it mean going forward, and what does it mean in regards to the past? Um, why should we care? That was, that was another part of the, the question you, you asked. I think that whenever a free people, uh, people that know freedom and have lived under it, have to then experience uh, the government boot and totalitarianism and the lack of freedom. Uh, it's an incredible travesty that if we have the ability, we should prevent at all costs. Um, and at all costs is not the right words there. I don't actually mean that. But uh, when we look at what happened in Afghanistan, where we pulled out our military, which we hadn't had a soldier die there in however many months, 18 months or something like that. And so we unilaterally just decide we're going to get up and leave, leave lots of billions of dollars worth of stuff for our enemies there, and then allow the people living there that had experienced freedom, specifically the women, specifically the, the homosexual population, to then go back under a rule of a population that uh, doesn't believe in allowing gay people to survive uh, or allowing women to 
have really any sense of freedom outside of essentially being um, sex slaves. That is a terrible thing. And, you know, again, not at all costs, but at any sort of reasonable cost, we should avoid allowing that to happen. And so I think when, when it comes to Ukraine, you know, we're seeing 44 million people in the country, a country that has been largely westernized, largely allowed to be brought into the the Western world and adopt a lot of those freedoms. And are they are they perfect in every way? Absolutely not. Are they better than the quote unquote freedom that is allowed by the people in Russia? Yeah, they, they just put in a rule that anybody that, you know, uh, puts out any sort of articles or any journalism, anything that goes against state Russian media can be jailed for 15 years, you know? Yeah, it's uh, so I think that's a good reason to care, right? We have we have these certain values in our country, uh, and I would say freedom's kind of at at the top of the list there. But at the same time, is it the United States' responsibility to protect the rest of the world? And I think we're having a lot of discussions nowadays that there are problems here and there's things that aren't perfect. Uh, I think this is the greatest place in the world to live. And I think we're very privileged for sure. History is the greatest place to live in the history of the world. But is it our responsibility to be caring about the rest of the world. I think there's arguments to, yes, we should. I think there's also arguments against. What are your thoughts? I think that there will always be someone at the top. And if we choose to allow ourselves to no longer be people on top, then someone who does not have our values will come in and push their values down onto us. So if we say South China Seas outside of our domain of interest, uh, Eastern Europe is outside of our domain of interest, we, you know, we're going to be, that's, that's what Russia wants. Russia wants the United States to be a Western hemispheric power for us, you know, to be basically in charge of Canada and Mexico and, and South America. And, to stay out of the rest of the world's problems because they would like to be the big European power. That's, that's their goal. And they are okay. allying themselves with Russia, who is obviously the big Asian power, but also wants to be the the number one power in the world in order to do that. Um, So I think it is uh, when you talk about responsibility, I think it is in our interest to ensure that it is American values that are primary on the world stage. And we have had that since World War II. We went over there, we you know, uh, helped Russia and the UK and France and all of our allies there at the time take down the power that was trying to take over Europe. And then at that time, and also we fought another war in the Pacific and did the same thing with, with Japan and, and uh, helped, you know, China was our ally at that point too. The, the Chinese were, were helping us try to take down the power in that part of the world that was trying to expand and had uh, territorial ambitions. 
And then we invested in those places. And we've had a troop presence in Japan since then. And we've had a troop presence in South Korea since the Korean War. And we've had a troop presence in Germany since World War II and, and all these things. So um, should we? That's, that's the question. I say, if we don't, who will? And then when we have that discussion of we, we look around the world at who else it could be, yeah, if it's someone that shares our values, if the UK, for whatever reason, was a rising power and they uh, were trying to establish um, a new union in Europe that was going to be, you know, westernized countries that that was going to be the power, I would say then, yeah, let, let them, you know, have the military presence and have the relationships and kind of... I won't say rule, but ensure peace is kept. That isn't the case, though. It was it was thrust on our shoulders, and we've done a bad job managing it. I'll I'll say that outright. I mean, we're we're thirty trillion dollars in debt, in large part because of huge social spending programs at home, but also because we've had to be the world's police and had to. I mean, we spent more on our military than all the rest of the countries of the world put together. That is a probably no longer true because we probably don't actually know what what excuse me china is spending on their military but i don't want chinese values i don't want to be pushed down by chinese values do you no i don't i think uh i think you make the really good case for us being the police right us us having values that we see important so i guess there's two ways to look at it right are, are we the police or are we forcing our values in certain places. And I think there's, there is a difference between those two. And I think also, you know, what's the alternative? That's, that's kind of the question, right? Like there, there isn't really another major power that believe in democracy or in a social Republic or sorry, democratic Republic. And we know that kind of the, for as young of a country as we are, Again, we've created the greatest place in history to live. And there's a lot of people that live here that don't see that or understand it. And that's because they, I think almost we've become too privileged in some sense. You know, just making problems out of out of little nothings compared to, you know, the stress of being bombed in your home. Yeah, and every time I... I didn't think I was going to mention this, but one of the uh, most powerful shows I've ever watched is the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Do you oh, watch yeah. that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that there's one episode in there where um, they're doing some very dirty work of having to basically cleanse the area of biomatter that would have been infected by the nuclear fallout from the Chernobyl explosion. And there's a woman that lives there who's in her 80s or something, and there's some soldiers telling her that she needs to evacuate. It's no longer safe here. And she basically goes on this quick little monologue talking about all the things that she's watched in her life, right? This is a woman in her 80s or so in the 1980s, right? In 1986. So theoretically, as a girl, she would have seen the Bolshevik Revolution, the, the Russian Revolution, and then lived through World War One, which in large part would have taken place in her backyard, and then lived through the misery of World War Two, and then the Cold War and, and all of this. Uh, and so she was kind of just saying, like, whatever you're trying to throw at me, I've seen worse. 
and it breaks my heart now to think about how another generation of Ukrainians d- like did not get the chance to know peace. Right. That's that's been an area of the world that has been under and, you know, be it Israel or Palestine, it's probably in a similar place where there's always, you know, the the tension of war. But but not like this, not, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops invading. That one that one was really, really powerful for me. Uh, a couple of things you mentioned there I want to touch on, though. One, are we forcing our values on the other places that we're policing, quote unquote? I would argue no. I would argue if, say, Iran became the world's dominant power, then no woman would be able to walk outside in the United States without wearing a, a, a hijab. Uh, and that would be them forcing their values on us. Uh, maybe democracy is a value, and maybe we've tried to install democracies in places where they weren't ready for it, like in Afghanistan. I mean, the fact that that government collapsed in about three and a half seconds when we decided we were leaving, we didn't even make it out yet, and the government had already <laughs> collapsed. Uh, whereas you see in Ukraine, this is a real government that the people love and are fighting for, and the government itself is fighting for the nation. And when when that wasn't something that happened in Afghanistan, that became pretty clear. Democracy isn't something these people believe in. So when you, you know, are we forcing our values? I say, we're not forcing our social values. We may be trying to push our political values a little bit so that we can have stability and have the ability to bring people into the family of nations who historically haven't been because they haven't been cohesive enough or technologically advanced enough to be part of the 21st century. Uh, and, and what's the alternative? Uh, yeah, the, I, I really think the only alternative to uh, Pax Americana to peace through American strength is turmoil with Chinese strength. And I think that would lead us to an era of history that I personally have no interest living through. I would agree. Well, a few other questions that I think are important to this, and you know, we're we're hitting our forty-five minute mark. What what do individuals, you know, us us here living in the United States, is this outside of our control? How much time slash worry should we be spending on this? And also. Are there things that we can do? Those are great questions. I feel like I have taken the first swing at answering most of the questions we've been posing. So I'm going to go ahead and just push it right back on you right away Fair and enough. say, what do you think? What, you know, what do you think about those two questions? So I'll kind of start with, is it in our control? Hmm. And I I think it's above most of our pay grades, in a sense. Uh, a lot of these decisions and things going on are not things within our sphere of influence. I think what is in our sphere of influence is to have these discussions, to kind of think through these things, expand our minds, not just read headlines, but try to understand on both sides what's going on and to withhold judgment until until we have a clearer picture um i forget what my other question was remind um, me so 
yeah, basically your two were, is it something that individuals should be concerned about and do we have any control over it or were the two? So you, you kind of answered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did. One last thing on that. I just, uh, I don't, because it's outside of our influence, I don't think it's something that we should be stressing over, right? And and again, kind of bringing this up, um, but we've we've just lived through two years of COVID, um, with a bunch of fear being pushed down our throats. Mental health issues have been on the rise. Deaths of despair have been on the rise, and again, I it kind of goes back to our episode zero and first discussion, but. You know, we don't need to be spending 100% of our lives online looking at all of this, uh, especially when some of these things are outside of our control, right? I, th- I think it's important that we understand and we try to learn and we try to discuss, but I also don't think it's it's worth stressing over considering we don't have as much control on an individual level to make a bunch of change in what Russia or Ukraine are going to do. Yeah, I I don't disagree with, with pretty much anything you said there. Um, in terms of... Yeah, when you look at it in terms of sphere of influence versus uh, sphere of concern, I think it's unanimous that Geopolitically, what's happening is within almost everybody on Earth's sphere of concern. Fair right? enough. If, you know, when it comes to even just how it's affecting your gas pl- prices, it matters to you the fact that, you know, you now have to spend 1500 more dollars this year on gas on average per household because of this. That being said, is it in our sphere of influence? Well, is what? Is the, is the fact that Russia invaded Ukraine? Is, is the military action that's going on? Not at all. What about the people factor? I, I would say that the answer is yes. Um, and it may be a little obtuse for me to say that, but the fact that there's so many opportunities for helping, I would say if, if everyone has the mental thought of it's not within my control, so I'm going to ignore it, there can be devastatingly bad consequences from that. So for instance, uh, my sister sent me a link the other day from a church fairly close to her. It's St. Andrew's Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They're accepting donations every day from 6 a.m. to midnight. They give you the, the address that you can send stuff to for Amazon. They're asking for, most importantly, medical supplies, but anything that you really want to send that's you know non-perishable food, uh, coffee, personal hygiene products, any of these things you can vastly improve the lives of people in going through the worst thing that you can imagine right now, if you chose to. If you said, you know, this is terrible, uh, I can't believe I'm going to have to spend 70 more bucks on gas this month. Well, is there anything you can do personally that you can change your habits in order to use less gas? Okay, if you can do that, if you can say eliminate 5%, 10%, 20% of your gas consumption, can you use that money to buy things for people in need on the other side of the world? I think... uh, These are are the... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you make a good point. And uh, I I guess the only pushback I would want to say, and maybe this is different, but when when does it stop, right? So 
I what I what I'm just trying to say and kind of just playing devil's advocate, but you know, cut out five percent of spending and you can assist in this other situation going on in the world. Right? But there's other catastrophes and other, you know, horrible things going on. The genocide of Uyghur Muslims. Are there ways to help them? Are there ways to help people enslaved in in certain countries? I think when and maybe this cause is more important to you and and you should assist and help with it. But my question is where where does that end? Right? If we keep jumping from giant problem to giant problem, are we ever spending enough time to try and actually fix one problem? If you don't become obsessed in, you know, trying to actually solve a bigger issue, then you're just going to do a a half-assed job at all these other things, at at all of these different problems. There's just so much kind of being fed down our throats. That's that's what I mean when I say that don't lose sleep at night over this. But if you can help, right, try to. But I think there's also a level of stress and anxiety that come with seeing all of these issues. And I just don't know that we're capable as humans of being able to take in all of this and trying to right all the wrongs. Is that a harsh statement or what do you think? I'm going to push, I'm going to push back on the pushback here because uh, the, you said, I'll try to quote it, but it's something like uh, we're jumping from giant problem to giant problem and we're never getting the chance to fix one problem. Right? So this is a giant problem that we're talking about here, World World War Three, or just you know to bring it down to today and not five months in the future. <laughs> uh, the, the Ukraine Russia conflict. What was the big problem we were on before that? I I would think COVID, um, but I like I said, I there's 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 other giant things going on. I would I would think so too. But to me, and I'll maybe catch some flack for this. I think that was largely created so that governments can kind of get a little bit more control, right? There was a real issue at the beginning in 2020, and then we got a vaccine, and then everybody got the vaccine. Well, almost everybody got the vaccine, and then it was about, hey, what the heck, this last 20%, you guys are evil. Why don't we just go get the vaccine? What the heck? Why don't we just make everybody get the vaccine? Otherwise, we'll fire them. Doesn't that sound good? Great. But this new issue came up, and was clearly much more important on the on the human factor. Now, did 5 million people die from COVID in the past two years? Yeah, it did. But in terms of what we can do about it, it's nothing. It's an endemic virus. It's like the common cold now, which is, you know, or, or the flu, which is actually from the Spanish flu in 1918. Like, the, it's just part of how we live life now. There's really nothing we can do. But they said alarm bells, alarm bells, alarm bells for all of 2021 anyways and into 2022 and only shift messaging when there actually is a bigger problem. So what I would say is you need to have the ability to discern. You need to see what is actually a problem and what isn't and and what you can actually do something about and what you can't. Because if you would ask me for a prescription for your ability to help with COVID, man, it would have been something like, you know, in the beginning, it would have been something like, do your best to stay home, you know, uh, donate if you have PPE, donate it to the hospital. You know, if you know any 
nurses or doctors of yours, you know, see if you can make them some meals and, and deliver them. There's not, you know, maybe there's something you can do. There's not a lot. In 2021, I would have said, well, get vaccinated if you want. <laughs> if you don't, don't. I mean, like, yeah, we're, we're kind of past this now. So the fact that it was pushed as a big problem, we needed to discern that it no longer is. Uh, and, and then you could say, okay, so what else happened in 2021? I'd say Afghanistan was a big deal. That was kind of a big problem. Uh, that got like two and a half weeks of headlines, and that's about it. Even though we're still seeing the fallout, there's still Americans trapped there. Some people actually took that within on themselves and said, I'm going to make this within my, not only my sphere of concern, but my sphere of influence and, you know, contracted planes and went over there and, and have been trying to extract American families that are stuck there. So I'd say that your the argument that you just kind of put forward, you know, Uyghur Muslims, I have absolutely no idea how I, Paul, sitting here right now can be a light to them right now because I'm sure they need it, right? I I was doing a little bit of, of research before we started recording on them, and it's like, yeah, the yeah, the Chinese government is committing atrocities. Yeah, uh, buy American goods, buy non-Chinese goods, do, do things that hurt that government's power. And that feels so far away that it doesn't feel like you're actually doing anything. And I understand that, but that's, that's the best I could come up with. But yeah, my thesis on all that is be discerning, understand what problems are acute and what are long-term and react accordingly when there's an acute problem if it's 2006 right now and hurricane katrina is actively happening you could sit here and say the same thing that yeah that's a giant problem what can i do about it it's like you know if you're not working see if you can literally go down there and help it's within your country if not can you send some money to the red cross can you you know can you be a part of the good that's out there in the world that supports people in times of crisis um, and that's that's my proposal to our listeners today. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right. And I, I was mostly just trying to play some devil's advocate. And I guess I'm just also concerned with the state of, of being that many people are living through right now. And yes, I think most of our problems are first world. But when when these problems accumulate and our society is not able to deal with them, in the sense that we haven't gone through some of this hardship, you know, we see diseases of despair in, increase. And yes, I, I completely agree with you in the sense that we should try and help. And if you have the means to do so, do so. Donate, try and help with that, especially because these civilians didn't ask for it, right? It's non-combatants that are really kind of the ones taking the fall for this. And, and that's the horror, right? I just also think that, kind of like you said, right, discern what is important and what you can control. And if it's, you know, so far outside of your control, you know, try not to spend as much time worrying about it. Yeah, that message overall on just how the media pushes things into our faces and the 100% connectivity of our age. Yeah, it's, it's really important to make sure you're taking breaks from it and you don't have a mental breakdown from looking at images of war because they're horrifying and it is definitely shocking, a, a lot of that stuff. And I, I hear what you mean about disease, diseases of despair in this country. I think I think our country 
largely, and perhaps the West overall, has lost its sense of meaning uh, and and purpose. Uh, and part of the discussion we're having today is a symptom of that. I don't think that people in the 1950s or 1960s, not that there weren't social issues of the time, not that we weren't still getting our way through the racist culture of the American roots, but I think overall the sentiment in the country was America is, of course, we should be the the world power, the number one you know uh, influence on Earth because we have something here that's unique. Uh, we have something here that's good, and as much as we can spread it around the world, we should do that. And I think that doctrine got us into Vietnam, and that was a really ugly uh, period, and and it ended up with bad results in in multiple ways not only for you know the the people in that country uh which i i wouldn't say they're better off because they're under they were under you know communist rule afterwards but also just how we started believing in ourselves when our soldiers came home and kind of were unsuccessful and and all that um i yeah i think that the diseases of despair that we're seeing if if we as a nation and we as a people still had a a more secure sense of meaning, we wouldn't be seeing that as much. But we've got the richest, most prosperous, most free country in the history of the world and and a mental health crisis and, and people that don't know why they're here. Yeah. Well, Paul? To, to end it on that great note, are you kidding me? I think no. we, we, we may have to change it to... You know, hey, in uh, two weeks, we're going to talk about atomic habits and other excellent things you can do to kind of better yourself. And uh, something I truly believe in is if you can be better and, you, you know, you can kind of spread your values and ideas and, and improve the people around you, you know, you build a better community. If you can improve, you know, communities, uh, they can create better cities, states, countries right if you it starts th- with the individual yeah it, yeah it starts with the individual and I, I we'll be able to talk about that in two weeks uh with atomic habits and uh listen i think this this russia ukraine uh conflict hopefully you know i know we've been joking that it's world war three and and hopefully it doesn't come to that but you know do what you can and if it becomes too much take a break I agree. And thank you all for for listening again. If you have any topics that you want to hear us cover, we didn't really feel like we had a choice here. There is only one thing on that was current happening in the in the world, it felt like. But if there's any uh, topics that you see that you want us to to look into or talk about, don't hesitate to to shoot us our way. And and we'd love to to have more discussions that are are interesting to you guys. And if there's any takeaways that you had from this, uh, please give us any feedback you can. We appreciate you listening. Have a great one. Bye-bye.